Well, it, good morning everybody. It is good to be here in God's house this morning. And what an atmosphere of God in the house. And, and my job this morning is to bring the word of God. Um, and as preachers we were given kind of a freelance to bring whatever psalm we wanted to bring. And for some reason God kept pressing on my heart, Psalm 42. So Psalm 42, if you know it, great, and if you don't know it, you're in for a treat this morning, I believe. But just, as, just before we get into it, um, yeah, thank you, Father. Father, we just thank you, Lord God, for your presence here this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you know everything about us. You know every single thing about us, Father God. Father, you know our weaknesses, you know our strengths, Lord God. And Father, this morning I just ask, Lord God, Father, that you would just come and have your way, Lord, through this word, Father, that this word, Father God, would feed your people here this morning, that it would edify your people, Father, that chains would be broken, Father God, and transformation would take place, Father God, this morning. So yes, so Psalm 42 um, and I'm going to get straight into it, and I'm going to read it, and I think TJ has, has it up there on the screen for me. Okay. And this psalm, it's for the director of music, a mascal of the Sons of Chorus. So that's, the, that's, the, um, that's who it's addressed to. But this is what it says. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitudes, leading the procession to the house of God. With shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. And I'm just going to leave it there. So this morning, my sermon, for anybody that's taken notes, it's called Breaking the Cycle of Discouragement. Breaking the Cycle of Discouragement. You know, discouragement comes in many, many ways. And Jesus said in his word, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. So in other words, what Jesus was saying, he was saying that don't let your heart be ruled by what you see. Jesus said, let your heart be ruled by what I promised you. So remember what God has promised you, if that's all you take out of this sermon this morning. Remember what God has spoken to you. Remember all the promises that God has brought to you in dreams and visions, through prophets, through the word. Remember what you've read and what God has said to you. You know, when you think of discouragement, when you think of discouragement, think of discouragement as your faith, that it's been choked out. And that's what I want you to think about discouragement. That your faith is being choked out. When you're choking, it's not a very pleasant thing to happen to a person. Isn't that right? Well, the other week I was eating a chicken wing. Hello. Hello is right. And my husband was up in bed. 
and I'm downstairs eating a chicken wing and a piece of bone got lodged in my throat. And I'm telling you, I could have panicked, <laughs> but I didn't. You know, and I just began to stay very calm and I just began to drink loads of water. And I was expecting Mrs. Doubtfire to come running through the kitchen doors and to give me the owl hee-ho, but he didn't. But it wasn't life or death. But you know what? When we are choking, when there's something not right within us, you need to fight for your life. And you, mean, you may need to get someone to walk along this journey with you. Don't let discouragement choke you. We've got to break the cycle of discouragement. We've got to break it off our lives. We've got to break off misery off our life. We've got to break off oppression, depression off our life. We've got to break the cycle. And as I opened this scripture this morning, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. It's a lovely kind of opening into the psalm and you think that everything is wonderful. You think that life is great. You think um, that the, the psalmist that wrote this, that everything is good with him. But the, the image of the deer, he's sipping the water. He's sipping from the stream. You can see that there's something wrong. Because he says, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. He says, where can I go and meet with God? So this psalmist, he knew God. He yearned for God. And the picture of the deer, he's not just lapping up the water. The deer is actually guzzling the water. The deer is parched. It's dying of thirst. The deer has its head totally submerged in the water, desperate for water. Because he's desperate, because he wants to quench his thirst. And when you step back and when you look at the deer, you begin to wonder, has the deer become lost? Has it wandered too far into the desert? Has the heat of the summer sun caused the deer to become distressed? Has it caused the deer to, be, to, to become so distressed that it begins to pant? It begins to look for water. You see, the psalmist... He doesn't paint a scene of Bambi standing in a, in a field of flowers with flowing streams going by. But the psalmist paints a picture of a deer probably on the brink of death, anxious for just a bit of water to restore its life again. You see, this deer, he needs to find water. He needs to find a lot of water because it's life or death. His life depends on the water so that it can live another day. How often have our lives been on the brink of thirsting for the things of God, searching for the things of God, looking for the living water. And when you look at this Psalm 42, the psalmist was so thirsty looking for the streams of God that he asked the question, he asked, where is God? Where is God? And he begins to reminisce. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude. He used to lead the procession to the house of God. What's he talking about? With shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. You know, this psalm, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's addressed to the sons of Korah. 
So who are the sons of Korah? You know, Korah was one of the chief priests of the tribe of Levi. And it tells us in number 16 that this man, Korah, he rose up against Aaron and he rose up against Moses. He rose up against his leaders. This man struggled with authority. He struggled with coming under the submission of his leaders. So what he did was he rallied the troops. He rallied all the Levites and he got them together and there was 250 of these men. And when he rallied them all together, the Lord looked on and he seen what Korah was about to do. And because of his actions, the Lord judged him. And the ground opened up. And when the ground opened up, fire consumed all these men, all their household, all their possessions. They all died. And then the rebellion ceased. You know, through this judgment, Korah's sons, they did not die. God spared their lives. They did not follow in the footsteps of their father's sin. And it tells us in 1 Chronicles, that the sons of Korah, and they're called the Horahites, if I'm saying that right, they were appointed by King David to serve as choir leaders for hundreds of years after. They were also known as the gatekeepers. They kept watch over the holies of holies. They loved God's house. These sons of Korah, they were worshippers. They were a musical society. They worshipped God. They loved God. They loved Jerusalem. And they loved the exuberant praises that took place there. And these sons of Korah, they were saved from the family line of the rebellious father. And the reason they were saved was because God had a purpose. God had a plan for these uh, men's lives. God wanted them to be singing and praising him in the heavenly courts. And you know, Psalm 42, it gives us insight into the psalm. And it gives us insight into the struggles of the psalmist. You know, it's this unnamed son of Korah. He's spiritually thirsty for God. And he relates his thirst to the panting of a deer in search for water. He wants nourishment. He wants life from God. He wants to be back in the house of God, singing shouts of praise. But here he finds himself discouraged. Here he finds himself, he's heartbroken. He's going through a personal time of oppression. He begins to become sceptical. He remembers his past intimacy with God in the temple. And when you study this, you begin to see that this son of Korah was with David and he was in the Jordan Valley and David was on the run from his son Absalom. And this man, Korah, begins, the son of Korah begins to reminisce and he begins to think about Jerusalem and he begins to think about how he would come into the courts of the Lord, courts of the Lord with the assembly of the people and begin to praise God. He would begin to praise and worship God. And now here he is and he's out in this desert and he begins to, he begins to think, God, have you forgotten me? God, where are you? And, he, and now the only moisture that's available to him is his own tears. 
Because he says, my tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? You know, discouragement has probably met us all at some stage of life. And you know, discouragement is the gap between what we expect and what we actually experience. It can show up in many ways. And for instance, when, when something, we want something that we so long for, and we can't seem to be able to get it. Or, we, or when we get something, sometimes when we get something like a job, or we get a relationship, or we get a marriage proposal, or, or we get an opportunity, but it doesn't turn out the way we thought it would, we can become discouraged. You know, discouragement, it can hit hard when we are winning and when we are losing. Discouragement can displace hope and leave us feeling like, you know what, this is actually not working. This is not working out for me, my life. So what's the point? And we feel like giving up. What's the purpose to it all? And we suffer through a time of discouragement. But when we suffer through a time of discouragement, you know what that can do? It can confirm our need for God more. And the psalmist, through his discouragement, he began to reminisce about Jerusalem. He began to reminisce about the courts of the Lord. He began to think about the good times that he had in the corporate praise and worship. And now here he finds himself in a place where he's struggling, where he's discouraged, where he's out in the desert and where he's far off from God. But even though he's far off from God, he still begins to cry out to the living God. He still begins to cry out for God even in his difficult times. He's detached from God's people. He's on his own. He's in despair. But one thing he does do, he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up the fight. He doesn't give up the fight for hope. He's longing for God again. You see, he knows that his thirst can only be quenched when he goes to God. He knows his thirst can only be quenched when he experiences God again. And he knows through this discouragement and pain, the only way to quench his thirst is to be with God. And I love what he says in line 5. He gives himself a pep talk. And what he's actually doing is he's giving himself a kick up the backside. And he says, why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? He begins to speak to his emotions. He begins to tell his emotions to get in check, to get in line with God's spirit. He doesn't allow the discouragement to get the better of him. And he begins to talk to himself through the hard times of life. He realizes he must keep his hope in God. You know, as believers, we can find ourselves in hard times. We can find ourselves in spiritual droughts. And if we're honest, sometimes we want to lie down and die. Or sometimes, you know what, we just lose hope. And I've seen so many times through the landscape of the spiritual 
um, the spiritual uh, army of people where the desert has been scarred with people who have given up, people who have lost hope, people who are worshippers of God, people who came to the house of God and loved on God and yearned for God and wanted to be in God's presence. And I see them scattered now in the landscape of the spiritual desert. Believers who have said, why should I go on? God has forgotten me. It's too hard. God isn't here. Or even worse, God doesn't exist. Disconnected from hope. Disconnected. Many who once came to the house of God were worshippers, were lovers of God. And I'm sure you, can, you know people and you remember people. You remember when they used to have faith. You remember when they walked with Jesus. They talked about Jesus. They loved Jesus. And, but if they'd only hung on another little bit, they would have found a flowing stream of living water that would have quenched that thirst for them. And I'm speaking to somebody here this morning. I know I am. God is saying, just hang on in there. Hang on. The stream is coming. The flow of the living water is coming. You know what? I was in a spiritual drought for about two years. And through that spiritual drought, many of you know my story. And it was a difficult time. It was a hard time. It was a hard time for me with God. It was a hard time when I wouldn't feel God's presence. It was a hard time, you know, just even to come into that place to, to want to worship, to want to pray. And I would have people that would stand with me and surround me and they began to pray and they began to, you know, search God for me because I couldn't do it. And even in that time, you know, when I couldn't do it, I knew that the Spirit was calling out to God for me as well. And it was a time of a spiritual drought. It was a time where I questioned, where are you, God? Where are you, God? Where are you, God? I, I, I opened up 2018 with a sermon. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. That's right. God was doing a new thing. He was doing a new thing in me. <laughs> you know, God has a great sense of humor. But you know, it was a time of a roller coaster. It was a time where my faith was up and my faith was down. And these all know, and many more here. And not that I get into all the details. But I had to begin to search for God again. I had to begin to be like that deer. I had to begin to work. I had to begin to open myself up and I had to ask God, God, where are you? You're not showing me where you are. So, all right, God, here I am. Here I am. I'm opening myself up to you spiritually. I'm opening me up to you spiritually. And just like that deer who was going around and he's tiredless and he's looking for the streams of water, that was me, tiredless, looking for God, searching for God looking for the streams of, of water, wanting to be back in the house again, wanting to be praising God. I love to praise Him. I love to worship Him. I love to throw my arms up in the, and dance and sing. And I don't care who's looking. But that was me. 
going around tiredless, aimlessly looking for God. And we're called to search for the living God. Each of us here. And if you're tiredless here this morning, if you've been wandering around, if you're tired with church, if you're tired with the three songs, if you're tired with the prayer, if you're tired with the prophetic word, hang in there. Hang in there because God is coming through. And can I tell you, things began to shift for me probably about six months ago. And six months ago, God put me in a new, in a new place. In a new place where I began to work with children that have special needs in St. Michael's house. Can I tell you, I haven't laughed as much in the last six months than I did two years ago. I was Mrs. Misery Guts two years ago. Cranky pants, I know I was. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? God put me in a new place. And he put me in this school with special children. Can I tell you? I don't... I don't I, I'd, be, I'd be trying to hide the laughter. You know, because you have to be serious with the kids. But, um, but there's one little guy, and I just let me tell you about him, and his name is Adam. So I went to the class, and they're like first, first class, like uh, Holy Communion. That's, yeah, first class. So... Uh, whatever so uh so yeah so i'm in the class and so this little dude gorgeous blonde hair he's about that height you know and uh he's known as the the terror of the class i said right on my street come up <laughs> so um so anyway so this little dude he sees me and so he starts doing t- starts spitting at me in the class you know and he's not having a bar of me he's not having any of me you know and so I just go along with it. And so we're in circle time and the teacher's sitting here and all the kids are there and all the SNAs are on the outside. And so, um, so anyway, so he gets called up to, to the board and it's this whiteboard and they're doing maths on it and all of that. And so when he's going by me, he gives me a clatter in the back of the head. <laughs> Honestly, you couldn't write this, right? And I'm like, okay, just go along with it, just go along with it. So, so anyway, so he sits back down and he gives me a kind of a sneaky little grin, you know. And, uh, but you know what? I couldn't help but love this kid. I tell you, God has given me such a love for them. But, um, so the next day I'm back in the same class and I'm like, right, okay, Lord. Right, how am I going to reach this kid? How am I going to reach this kid? So anyway, we're sitting there and we're in circle time. And next of all, I'm put right beside him. I said, here we go. Here's the test. So, next of all, he just begins to throw his arm out to me. So, unknowns to myself, I began to tiddle his hand. And then, unknowns to myself, I'm tiddling his arm because he had pulled the sleeve up. Now, we're supposed to be in class doing lessons. So, anyway, so next of all, I'm tiddling him away. And now, the teacher doesn't see any of this. Well, next of all, the leg goes up on the... And he starts pulling his trousers up for me to kittle his leg. I said, no, put that, put that leg down, put that leg down, you know. But anyway, so I'm telling you all that because I was in a place two years ago of brokenness. I was in a place where I couldn't find God, but God was doing something in me. And here I am, six months, in a place, working with kids, that have special needs, 
have severe autism, have Down syndrome. But can I tell you the joy that God has brought back in my life? That I'm able to reach these kids, that I'm able to go in there and love these kids. And let me tell you another story. I was in another part of the, the, uh, the school. And when I went in, I was doing my work experience there for 12 weeks. And when I went in, one of the little girls, she had uh, like these splints on her legs. And she struggled to walk. So our job, myself and another girl, was to bring this little girl out every day and do exercises with her and bring her up the ramp to strengthen her legs. So I began to pray. I began to prophesy. I began to say, legs move, legs walk, legs walk. And you know what? I wanted to see the miracle while I was there. And uh, so we split up for two weeks at Easter time. And when I went back to the school as subbing as an SNA, one of the SNAs called me and she said, Louise, come here. And I went out into the hallway and next of all, here's the little girl walking with no leg braces on. I tell you. You know what? It just has brought such joy back into my life. My family have me back. This house has me back, I believe. God has me back and I'm back there with God. God is good. God is good. And if you're hanging in by a thread, can I tell you, he will release his living water upon you today. So where am I? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so we're called to search for the living water so that he can restore us, so that he can refresh us, so that he can get things out of us. Imagine that. God wants to get things out of us to stretch us to grow. He wants to stretch us to grow. And he will allow some... How do you say that word? He will allow some disasters or, um, yeah, in our lives. <laughs> the hecklers. <laughs> he will allow things to come in to get us to the stream, to come to him. So when you've got stuff going on, and I know it can be hard, and I know some people's stuff here, but we've got to look at the end result We've got to look to him. We've got to trust in him. We've got to put our hope in God again. And sometimes we might just have to to break out of our routines. Because if we allow discouragement to choke us, well then we're not going to be able to take a drink of water from God. Discouragement has to go. It has to go. Everything that it brings with it, it has to go. Discouragement cannot be in the life of a, of a, of a believer. And I'm not saying that you, you can't be there for a time. But you have to move out of it. You have to come to that place with God where God will release his living water upon us. You know, the psalmist, instead of complaining, instead of giving up, he takes a step back and he begins to reminisce what he knows about God. He knew about God. And it says in, in verse 6, I don't know whether we have a verse 6 there, TJ, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the height of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves are break, and breakers have swept over me. A prayer to the God of my life. And this was the psalmist. He remembers who God is. He remembers what God can do for him. 
And he goes back to that place and he begins to call upon him. And you know what? God has been there in the past filling his heart with joy. And God will be there again. And as I said, we just need to hang on. We need to hang on to hope. And some, some of us, we need to break our routines here today. We need to break our routines to let the Holy Spirit break in because the Holy Spirit is trying to break in. And we won't let him. Because it's like handing it over and saying, here you are, Lord. But sometimes we want to take it back and we want to do it our way. But like the deer, the psalmist, he needed to wander aimlessly. He needed to wander a bit until he finds his answer. And he needs to realize that the spiritual droughts, they end. And that's for someone here today. If you're in a spiritual drought, it's going to end. It has to end. It has to end. But we have to do some work. We can't stay sitting as believers. We have to actually physically get up and do some work. And if you're coming through discouragement, if you are, and if you're in a spiritual drought, it is going to take some work. And there's one thing that I've learned in my own spiritual drought, in my own dryness, in my own doubts, in my own fears. There's one thing that I've learned. That God was always there. And even when I didn't recognize him on my, on my darkest days. But God was there. He was there. And what I know now is, and this is for someone, if you're in that place, you can't stay there. You can't stay there. You have to come out of it. You have to move out of it. And while we wait on God, we cannot allow our emotions to spin out of control and rule our lives. We've got to talk to our emotions. We've got to tell them, you know, you've got to get back in line. You've got to get back in check with the things of God. We've got to speak to those things that try and divert us off the course of God. You see, the Psalm 42, it shows us how to overcome discouragement. And it says, just let me read this. I think we have it. Yeah, it says in verse 8, and I love this part, it says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. You know what? God is going to put a new song in your heart. God is going to put a new tune in your heart where you will sing, sing, where you will dance, where you will dance on discouragement. So this morning, church, if you're discouraged, you can move back to that place of hope again. Because God is our hope. God is our hope. You know, the Lord will command his loving kindness upon you today. When people worship, when they praise God, they become aware of his magnificence. 
You know, David, King David, knew of God's magnificence. The sons of Korah knew of God's magnificence. That's why David had these worshippers in the temple courts praising God. These were men and women after God's heart. And when we begin to come into that place, you know what? The circumstances will begin to fade away because God's greatness will begin to overtake us. So when you reflect on what's going on in your life or if you feel like you're that dear and you're struggling, you're desperate for living water, you're in a spiritual struggle, you're in a spiritual drought, take courage to know that we can be satisfied here today. You know, it's not just here on a Sunday morning for an hour. We can be satisfied throughout our week, in our workplaces, in our homes, with our children, with our grandchildren. You know, we can be satisfied bringing God into all of those places. Take courage to know this morning that God will welcome you when you come to the streams. That God will strengthen you. And if you're faced with long, with those long nights, and I was faced with many of them, unable to sleep, your head is mushed, your heart is so doubtful. When we become like the psalmist and we get real with God and we cry out to God, I'm not feeling your presence, Lord. I'm longing for the waters to come and fill me again. When we begin to get real, he will quench our thirst. He will restore us. He will lift us up again. And our spirits will be filled once again. Jesus said, for anybody who is thirsty, come to me. That's what Jesus said. And I have nothing else to give you here this morning, only Jesus. I have nothing else, only him. He said, come to me, all you who are thirsty. Come to me. And I will give you living waters. I will refresh your your soul. I will restore everything, everything back again. He says, come to me. He's enough. Just even being with him, he's enough. You know, when the woman at the the well in, in Samaria, when she came and he asked her for a drink, he asked her, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, and I will give you living water. When that woman realized at the well who Jesus was, she never thirsted again. Her thirst was quenched. And because of that, she went back to her village and she began to tell the people in the village, I've met the Messiah. I've met the living God. I've met the one who has set me free. I've met the one who has taken discouragement off me. I've met the one that hasn't judged me because I've had six husbands, but he told me to put it right. But I've met the one. I've met the one. I've tasted and I've seen and I've met the living God. And this morning we're just going to open up the front. And if you want to taste and see Jesus, if you want to come and taste of the living waters of God, 
Come. Come and taste him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Let me get this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Can we just close our eyes? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. I don't know. The last one. I don't know. Our spirit, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just as the, the team are getting ready there, I just, I found it. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that's God's promise to you here this morning. We will never thirst again. Never. And we can go deeper in the things of God today. We can go much deeper into what God is calling us into.